And Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to see how it is that you make us your special people. I pray, Father, that you would make it clear to everyone who's here this morning that you loved us enough that you sent a mediator, a go-between. And I pray, Father, that we would see not just our need, but we would glory in the provision of that mediator. Please speak to us, Lord. Please help us to walk in this truth. Lord, we, knew, we do need to get our head around this, but more than that, Lord, we need to walk in this truth. Help us to be doers of your word, we pray. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone who agrees says? So how do you communicate your commitment to a relationship and at the same time keep appropriate boundaries? How do you find a mutual purpose with another party and at the same time make sure that it doesn't just become about you and them? And how do you resolve a conflict that the other party doesn't see is actually going to happen. How do you deal with this? How can you be in a situation where you so long for a relationship with somebody who's so different than you that you want to provide a way that that relationship can be secure and can flourish? How do you do that? Well, this is what God does with Israel. And he does it by sending a mediator. Moses. Moses was chosen by God to be that go-between. In fact, this is the definition of mediator, in case that's a word you're not familiar with. A mediator is a person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement. It's a go-between. But here's the thing. God wants more than just an agreement. He wants a real relationship. And so what we want to see today is how Moses being the mediator for Israel helps us to trust Jesus. How this, that God did then, what God's revealing through Moses then, how that teaches us to to trust Jesus today. So let's get into this. Three three things that we want to look at. The first one in chapter 19, verse 1. Here's what the mediator does. He reveals God's plan to God's people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, On the third moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And when they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountains. And while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob. Now, you have a situation here where Moses has ended up exactly where God told him he would be. In fact, if you remember from way back in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord had said to Moses... But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve on this mountain. This is the second time Moses has been on this mountain. The first time was the burning bush in Exodus 3, where God reveals himself and calls Moses after 40 years of looking after sheep in the wilderness. Moses says, God says to Moses, I want you to go get my people out of bondage. And Moses is thinking, I don't know if I'm the guy. 
And God says, you're the guy, and here's how I'm going to prove it. I'm going to meet you with all those people back on this mountain. And now, in Exodus 19, it's happening. They're at the mountain of God, about to meet with God. God is confirming to Moses his calling as the mediator. Look at verse 3 again. Thus you shall say to the house of, of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen how I, what I did to the Egyptians and I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine. Now what God wants Moses to communicate is this reality that, that he sees Israel as something special. That God looks at the nation of Israel and he says, they are not just a nation among many, they are my treasured possession. He's not saying that the rest of the people don't belong to him or the rest of the world doesn't belong to him. The Bible is clear, the earth is the Lord's. He made it, it belongs to him. The universe is the Lord's. But what he's saying is, Israel is my treasured possession. They're like the crown jewels in my kingdom. I, I see them as that valuable to me. And it's interesting, too, when he uses this, uh, this imagery, this metaphor of I've bore you on eagle's wings. You know, a lot of birds, when they're trying to get their young to fly, they'll grab them by their talons, take them out, and kind of just chuck them out of the nest. But what an eagle will do will be kind of nudge them out of the nest and then fly underneath them and catch them on its back. So the mama eagle's got the baby eagle on its back and flies so they get a sense of the wind currents, of what's actually happening. And it's also a protection from any predator below. One commentator says that it, when an eagle flies with its young on its back, it means that anyone who's going to get to the eagle has to get to the eaglet has to go through the eagle. And so God is like saying, anyone who's going to get to you has to go through me. You're that special to me. But he, he also says this about them in verse 6. He says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses, these are the words you just speak to the people of Israel. Now, what does it mean by kingdom of priests? Well, this idea is that, that they were meant to be those, a priest are those who represent God before the people. That's what priests do. And, and, and God here is not just speaking of the fact there's going to be a priesthood among Israel. That, that's true. We're going to get to that later on in, a, in, a, in future weeks. But he's saying that the... the, the the, the people themselves, you are going to be a priesthood. You are collectively going to represent me before the nations. You're meant to intercede for the nations, and you're meant to represent God to the nations. That's what he means by a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now with this, God is being, listen, he's being both narrowly exclusive and intentionally inclusive. He's being exclusive to, to make sure that his people, Israel, know, listen, I've chosen you so that it's, it's through you, through, through people who, who, whose God is yours, that that's how I'm going to save the world. That's how I'm going to bring the world to myself. But he's also being inclusive and in saying, this is for all the nations. It's not just for you. I haven't chosen you just for you, just for you to benefit. I've chosen that as you are benefited, that you take me out to the world. That was God's intention for Israel. There's a mission that they had to do. You see this all over the place. You see this in the psalm several places. I'll just read one. In Psalm chapter 67, the psalmist says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. 
for this reason, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Why does God choose us? It's not because we're so great or grand, or that our, even that our faith is so great or grand. God chooses us that we might know him and make him known. This is what God does with Israel. In fact, Peter uses a similar language in the New Testament. The apostle Peter, the guy who always put his foot in his mouth, you know Peter, right? Peter wrote this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are, using the language from this text, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, when the mediator reveals God's plan to God's people, when God says, here's what I want you to say to Israel, the issue is God wants them to know he plans to reveal himself both to and through Israel. That's what he's doing. Now, how do God's people respond? Well, we see in verse 7 and 8, they receive God's mediator. They receive Moses as the messenger. Verse 7 says, so Moses came to the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the, the, the words of the Lord to the, words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming in a thick cloud. Oops, I went too far. I'll stop there. <laughs> I, I, I'll just full confess. I forgot to write my notes in my Bible this morning. So I'm like, oh, where do I stop? I'm not really sure. We're just trusting the Holy Spirit to help, okay? But this is the thing that I want you to understand, okay? I, I want you to see that what's going on here is God's word is coming down through Moses, and the prayers of God's people are going back up through Moses. That's what a mediator does. He's the go-between. Now, this is important because, again, this is the first point we're seeing, is the mediator reveals God's plan for God's people and we see this in Moses, but as New Testament Jesus followers, we see this in Jesus. Listen to this in John chapter 1. It says, John's gospel, it says, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. See, what we see happening with Moses, we see happen, being fulfilled in Jesus. Now, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear what I hear when I speak to you, and may also believe you forever. Now it's important to see what's going on right here. God wants them to be really clear who he's speaking through. He wants us to be really clear. Anybody can say I'm a prophet of God, anybody can say I'm the one who speaks for God. There's been a myriad of religions around the world, thousands upon thousands of people who call themselves prophets or sent from God or the gods, plural, or our little gods themselves. There's a myriad of ways that people have said, I'm speaking divine truth. And God says, I want to make it clear when I'm speaking divine truth. Verse 10, so he says, verse 9 still, he says, when Moses told the words to the people of the Lord, it says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today. We'll come back to the word consecrate in a bit. Today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. 
Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. And this is God speaking, remember? No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or, or man, he shall not live. Now, I remember walking up to a house of some friends of mine, and the welcome mat said, go away. I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was hilarious because I knew that they were welcoming me. But this probably didn't feel so hilarious. That God is saying to his people, don't get too close. He says, verse 13, no hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoner's thought. Yeah, we'll stop there. See, here's what God's doing. He's saying, listen, he knows, he wants us to be close, but he doesn't want us to be consumed. Our God is a consuming fire. We'll read this a bit later on. Because here's the, here's the reality about us, that maybe this is, this is not flattering at all, but it's very, very true. Our presumptions are often what kill us. What we assume to be true about God, what we assume to be true about ourselves, is what actually leads us to death. And God is wanting his people, because he loves his people, to be clear about this. Don't presume you know. How many of you guys ever heard of a, a preacher named Francis Chan? He's one of my, I like, I like Francis, he's a good dude. I heard him say uh, this week, listening to a little clip that he had, I heard him say that, he says, the problem with this generation is you think your opinion is important. Now, I, I, have, to, I have one thing I disagree with. I think that's every, every generation. I think every generation thinks their opinion is too important. Because here's the reality. What we think is not nearly as important as what God thinks. And our perspective is not nearly as clear or accurate as God's is. Which is why we want our perspective to be aligned with his. And so when God says in his welcome act, go away or stop right here, he's not being harsh. He's, he wants them close. He's commanded that they come to the mountain. We'll see. But he's saying there's got to be a limit because your presumptions could kill you. Verse 14. It says... So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. Now, we saw that word once before, didn't we? Consecrate. It simply means to set apart as holy. And so when, he, when God says to the people, consecrate yourselves, when Moses goes down and consecrates them, it, it's not that they are instantly then holy. It's like, see yourselves, prepare yourselves as a holy people. God's already called them his holy people. He wants them to be prepared for this. So Moses calls and consecrates the people. They wash their garments, kind of an outward sign of an inward preparation. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. He's not saying women are dirty. He's not even saying sex is dirty. He's just saying, he's, another version says wise, which is probably a better version, better translation. The idea is, don't even enjoy normal marital intimacy. Be willing to be prepared. And he says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled, so would we. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain and now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the, the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. And Moses spoke, and God answered him in a thunder. Another version says, answered him with a voice. 
Then God came down on the mountain, on Mount Sinai, to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And do you see what's going on? God wants relationship, right? What's the command? Come up, come meet God. God wants relationship. But not without holiness. Do we get this? That God is more loving than you can imagine. And because he's all love, not what we think love as God is, but God himself defines love, expresses love. It's the fact that we're made in his image that we even desire to love, even though we get love wrong all the time. God loves us. God is a relational God. He wants a relationship with us, but not without holiness. In fact, without holiness, it's impossible to see God rightly, to know God rightly. And so here's what's happening. God's saying, listen, meeting me requires holy preparation. Now I wonder, and and I mean this out loud, I wonder if church would be way better if we prepared better for church. I was really getting convicted of this when I was going over my notes this morning, which I forgot to write my Bible. I was convicted because I was thinking, Lord, you know, I, I, I prepare intellectually. I, 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 do the, I, I put the hard work in to get in a sermon prepped. You know, I'm pretty, pretty diligent about that. But my heart, is my heart ready to meet with you? Is my heart ready to represent you? Is my heart ready to point people to you? Lord, I don't know. I don't know if I've actually prepared very well. And I found myself in preparation just confessing a whole load of attitude sins that I've been holding on to. I found myself confessing a lack of love for you guys. I found myself confessing how desperately I was for him to work. I wonder if we all did that, how much better church would be. If we just were willing to admit, Lord, I love those people, or I want to love those people, but I don't always like them. So you're going to have to work in me to teach me to love people enough to move move towards them, to like them, to show them your love. You're going to have to work in me. I want to be prepared for that. And God, I'm prideful. I think I probably know better than most of the people that are at church. I probably know more Bible or more theology or more experience. God, I'm prideful, but humble me. I want to humble myself because you want to speak to me through anyone. There's something about preparing our hearts to meet with God that is absolutely non-negotiable. And this is how merciful God is. Even when we don't prepare, God meets us here. Have you guys ever had this experience? I bet, you, I bet you everyone here has had this experience at least once where you just think, ah, I don't want to go to church. I'm sick of church. Church is a waste of time. I don't want to go. And then you think, I'm going to go. And even kind of pat yourself on the back. Look at how disciplined I am. I went to church, but I didn't want to go. And you go, and God meets you there in a powerful way. And you're like, man, I'm so glad I went to church today. You know why that happens? Because God is that merciful. He wants relationship that much to meet you where you're at. What if we prepared our hearts Because this is really what God requires us. He calls us to. So so meeting God requires this kind of holy preparation. But also, what's happening here is absolutely terrifying, isn't it? I mean, can we be honest? This is not a metaphor for God's holiness. This is not a volcano going off. This is the very presence of God being manifest 
in this radical, powerful way that is meant to shake up, literally shake the ground and shake up the people to think, who are you about to meet with? This is a key to all worship and prayer. It's us remembering who we're about to meet with. I got some great news. This mountain where God met Moses through a burning bush that was not consumed, you remember that? Exodus 3. This God who's meeting the Israelites on this mountain in a terrifying, terrifying way also meets a guy named Elijah on the same mountain. You guys might know about Elisha. He's a, he was a prophet of God, amazingly used of God. You can read this story in 1 Kings uh, 19. And Elijah has done this really, had this powerful work, uh, basically uh, defeating all the false prophets that were there, the prophets of Baal. I mean, this powerful work, he had boldness, he had strength. God does supernatural stuff to wipe out those prophets. And then this queen, Jezebel, says, I'm coming after you. And what does he do? He runs away scared. Goes into the desert to hide. And just says, God, kill me now. And an angel comes and tells him, just take a nap, have some food. Take a nap, have some food, you know. And then what happens? God begins to speak to him. Listen to this. Listen to this. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, The Lord said, he's speaking to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Listen to what God does. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after a wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's the thing that we need to see. When we see this powerful, terrifying picture and exodus of God manifesting himself, we need to recognize any manifestation of God that's truly God is good. The manifestation that terrorizes us, oh God, oh God, who am I, who am I? is just as good as a manifestation that just says, hey, are you listening? I'm right here. Any manifestation of God. See, here's what the mediator does. The mediator connects sinful people with the sinless God. God wants a relationship, but not without holiness. And here's how he, he brings us into holiness. He speaks his word to us. He sets us apart by what he says. This is a powerful thing. And then you can see okay, Moses has gone up the mountain, he's gone down the mountain, he's gone up the mountain again, and God's doing this, showing himself. The people are terrified. Moses is still up there, right? And I can imagine Moses is in this place just in awe, just blown away, both, both himself terrified and also I, I don't want to ever leave. This is horrible and wonderful at the same time. And he's in this place, and the Lord says to Moses, verse 21, go down and warn the people. And Moses says, I just got up here, Lord. No, he didn't say that. But he said, lest the, God says, lest they break through the, to the Lord and look, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, let the, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses says to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to Moses, go down. And come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through uh, to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. 
And so Moses went down to the people and he told them. Now, God's got to convince Moses to go down and, and do this. Because, and I bet you Moses is probably thinking, Lord, there's no way that anyone would dare come up this mountain. But God knows people better than we do. Here's what the Lord's doing. The Lord's wanting, the Lord is wanting Moses and his people to understand that people can be afraid and still not fear God. Some of you were attracted to Christianity or were attracted to church because you were afraid of death and what happens next. Now that by itself isn't bad. But you can have that kind of fear. Oh, no, I don't want to be judged. Oh, no, I don't want to die. Oh, no, I'm afraid of this. And still not fear God. Because to fear God is to see him as he is and to respond to him as he says. Listen. The psalmist wrote it this way. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be what? Feared. God, I got to do what you say. I need to see you as, as, as you are. And you say, if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me for all unrighteousness because Christ paid for that. And you are to be feared. Some of us fear our own potential of self-righteousness more than we fear the Lord. I, I mean that fear as in reverence. We think, if I just try a bit harder, I'll get it right. We're going to see next week that God frees us from that. <laughs> we'll see this next week. But it's important for you to see this is what God's doing. God's wanting, listen, he's wanting to show them that the mediator is the one that connects them between, connects them as sinful people to him, the sinless God. Now lastly, look at verse, chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And we stop there. And we stop there because what's happening here is God starts, before God gives the law, before God says, here's what I require of you, he says, what you cannot forget, what you have to start with is what I've already done for you. The difference between Christianity and religion is not that our God doesn't demand anything of us. It's that our God doesn't demand anything of us before he provides everything for us. Before he already gives us the right relationship. In fact, what's God doing? He's confirming his desire for relationship. He's saying, you know, when God speaks, he says, I'm the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Don't forget, the generation that was delivered from Egypt was probably only knew the gods of Egypt. Maybe they held on to the, the God of the Hebrews as well as kind of a cultural thing, or maybe even they thought, well, maybe someday he'll do something, but I don't know, we haven't seen him yet. All they knew for generations was Egypt and Egypt's false gods. So does God look at them and go, man, these guys are so good. I didn't even give them the Ten Commandments. They're already walking so righteously. No. He sees them in bondage. He sees them experiencing injustice. He sees them hard. He sees them broken. He sees them lost. And he saves them. He brings them out of Egypt. And he, before he gives them any commands, he says, listen, I'm the one who did this for you. It's like God saying, I can't make it any clearer to you how much I want a relationship with you. How much I've already provided for a relationship with you. 
Now, from verses 3 to 17, we have what's called the Ten Commandments. Literally, it's the ten words in Hebrew. And we're going to look at these in detail next week. These these ten commandments changed the world. I'm not just saying that to be dramatic. We'll see next week. They radically, radically changed the world. If you like, if you think the, the rule of law is an important thing, started right here. Started right here. But I'm going to just read to you in two sections these Ten Commandments, because what these do is they define the priorities of relationship, how the relationship works itself out. Look at verse 3. I'm going to read first from verses 3 to 11. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Second commandment, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or anything or of any likeness of anything that is in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You should not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Those are the first four commandments. Can you see that what God says? Here's the priority. We're going to sum up the first four commandments like Jesus did. It's to love God supremely. There's only room in your heart for one God. God made you that way. God redeems you back to that way. The first four commandments are all summed up in that. Now, let's read from verses 12 to 17. Let's look at the last six commandments. Honor your father and and your mother, uh, for in that day, I'm sorry, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or his Lamborghini or anything that is your neighbor's. Now what's this? It's to love others willingly. These, listen guys, these define the priorities of relationship that God wants to have with us. He says, here's how it works out. You love me supremely. That's got to be first. You will not have the love that I am calling you to have for others unless you love me supremely. Then, then when you have that, you'll begin to learn how to love others willingly. Again, we're going to talk about these more next week. But here's what we need to see. God's law is revealing to God's people their need for a mediator. This is what God's doing. They need to see how desperately they need a mediator. They need a go-between. Look at verse 18. Now when 
All the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountains smoking. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is heavy stuff. This God is, is way bigger than we thought he was. Way more pure than we thought he was. Way more serious than we thought he was. Way more powerful than we thought he was. In fact, look at verse 21. It says, And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where he was. The people want a mediator. They know, I need a mediator because they're scared to death. They're scared. Understandably so. And this is in part what God's wanting to do. God is wanting them to see, you have to have a mediator. There's got to be a go-between. I want relationship, but there's got to be a mediator or we won't be able to have real relationship. Look at verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for the Lord has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. Now, do you see what's happening here? The people are going, we need a mediator, man. We're going to die. Moses, you got to be the go-between. Come on. They want a mediator because they're afraid. But God provides a mediator so he can bless them. Do you see that? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy is uh, the, the word, the, the name of that book. Deuteronomy means like second reading. And it's this, kind of the second time Moses goes through the law that we're seeing he's receiving in Exodus and Leviticus, Okay. And he's going through that uh, reading of the law with the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. So here's, here's how he sums this up, or when he recants this uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is God's heart in doing this, what we're seeing right here in chapter 20 of Exodus. This is God speaking. He says, oh, that they had such a heart as this always, to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. That's God's heart. God's heart is, listen, I want them to realize they need a mediator and I want them to fear me and, and obey me because if they do so, they're going to be blessed. They're going to know what it really means to know their God. Now, all this is interesting. All this is historic. All this is important for laying the groundwork. But none of this means anything unless we get this. Listen, don't miss this. In Jesus, we come to both a better mountain and a better mediator. This is exactly how the author of Hebrews sums up this text. Listen, Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to what you have, notice you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of those words made, by, made the hearers beg that no further message should be spoken to them. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The author of Hebrews says, you haven't come there. But here's the problem. We act like that's where we worship. When we obey God because we're so afraid, we're so afraid, he's going to snuff us out. We're going to Sinai. That's not where we belong. We're going back to Moses, who was a temporary mediator. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Listen to me. He says, 
but you have come to Mount Zion. That's Jerusalem. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable angels and, and festal gatherings. In other words, there's something spiritual happening in the heavenlies, even as we worship together. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous, the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Can you, do you understand why, listen, do you understand why God is saying to Israel, you've got to see Moses as the mediator. We can't be in covenant relationship without a mediator. And do you see how that is the former or the lesser pointing to the greater? That the greater is we come in Jesus. And when we come in Jesus' name, as his, when we come to God through Jesus, our mediator, here's what happens. There's no more fear and trembling. Do you know why? Not because we don't fear God. We even more so fear God. He's still the forgiving God who's worthy to be reverenced and feared. But there's no more trembling that way in the sense of like, oh no, he's going to wipe us out. You know why? Because Christ already paid for all of our sins. Do you believe that? Is that where you're coming to worship? This is so important because, listen, as we get into the Ten Commandments, and we see the wisdom of God and the goodness of God in those commandments. The temptation is going to be, if I do these, I'll be right with God. And God was saying to Israel, you're right with me, now do these. And God says to us, it's no longer about you going to me through this law. It's about you seeing me fulfilling this law in Jesus. In fact, Paul puts it plainly, in case you're, you're wondering, okay, which, which mediator am, am I going to choose? No, 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 there's only one mediator. Listen, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Moses didn't die for you. The Ten Commandments, as we'll see next week, they can't save you. Jesus did. God the Son. We need a mediator as desperately as Israel did. We have a mediator who is the fulfillment of all that was promised to Israel. His name is Jesus. But do you believe that? I wonder if there's any of you here who have, have either this is kind of, you're new to Christianity, this is kind of new to you, or, or you're coming back to, to faith or coming back to, to uh, a Christianity after maybe growing up in it. And maybe this reality feels too good to be true. And I just, I want to say, please don't let the enemy rip you off. Because the Savior that we speak of wants to save you. He loves you and wants a relationship with you. And he sent Jesus so you could have that relationship with him. He's the mediator. Jesus is the go-between. Jesus is the reason why we can know we can know God. If, if you're here this morning and you don't yet know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you don't know the peace of having your sins forgiven. You don't know the peace 
of being clothed in Christ's righteousness. You don't know the hope of serving a God who provides for your holiness. If you don't know this God, man, I'd love for you to meet him. I'd love for you to meet him right now. Father, I, I, I confess, I'm not sure what you want to do. But I know you love these people. And I know you want every single person in this building to know you. Lord, your word is so clear that you died for all men, especially those who believe. Father, would you... Do for anyone here who doesn't yet know you, would you make it clear to them they don't know you? But that they can know you. Would you give them the ability to believe, the understanding to believe? Would you give them new life? Would you show them their need for you, Lord Jesus, as their mediator? And would they come to you at Zion? Father, please, save anyone here who's not saved. And Father, I pray, Lord, for um, us that do know you. We pray you'd forgive us that we, not only do we often relate to you at Sinai, but we breach the limits. We try to go up the mountain as if we're holy enough. Forgive us, Lord. We want to worship you at Zion, not Sinai. We want to come to you through Jesus. And we want to say, Lord, we believe him who is our righteousness. We believe him who is our Savior and Lord. And Father, we just want to say thank you for Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that you're doing a good thing in us. We want to walk in that, Lord. We just commit the rest of this time to you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to do business with you. Father, would you humble those who are struggling to admit they may not know you. And those who know you but are struggling, may they get what they need to break through. Lord, help us to serve one another in that way right now. For we pray it in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen.